Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. Do you guys like or hate it when I reveal stuff about myself? I mean, you have to let me know, but since I can't hear you right now or I can't check Twitter... I'm just going to go for it. I'm always amazed by people whose lives span an almost unbelievable spectrum. So my mom is a great example. She was born in Canada to penniless Romanian immigrants. Okay, so here's her first end of the spectrum. Mom spent her early childhood years in the bitterly cold northern plains of Saskatchewan in a house with earthen floors earthen, like hard dirt. So no, they didn't have hot, let alone running water electricity. And my grandfather, who was a butcher, would go out and hunt for dinner. We're talking rabbits and deer, okay? Now, fast forward to the other end of the spectrum. Mom became a Shakespearean theater actress, formally trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and later with my dad, ended up living in Beverly Hills, California, among the palm trees and the glitter. So earthen floors <laughs> to Beverly Hills. Now, anyone listening who, like me, was born into comfort, but whose parents had grown up poor and hungry, has to fight feelings, and I don't like this word, but has to fight feelings of guilt, right? Uh, as in, like, oh, my God, I get to wash my hair with Evian water while my mom's family had to buy their water in barrels from the indigenous people of the Yukon. Okay, the Yukon stuff is true that me washing my hair with Evian is not true, but... Guilt, I have always felt, is really a wasted emotion, but I've found that the way through that is to channel guilt into something more valuable. Try to live a good life. Give more than you receive, and with whatever good fortune you have, help the helpless. No one personifies that more than my guest today. Mark Wilf is the son of Polish-Jewish Holocaust survivors. So first end of their spectrum— his dad Joseph and mom Elizabeth were among the few who survived the Nazis' mass murder of the Jews. When they emigrated to America, they arrived as refugees who didn't speak the language and knew nobody. Now to the other end of their spectrum, Joseph made his way to New Jersey and founded what became a real estate construction empire worth billions of dollars and raised his sons to love America, philanthropy, and football. Today, son Mark is known as one of the most generous philanthropists to both Jewish and non-Jewish causes. Oh, and by the way, he's also the owner of the Minnesota Vikings. Mark, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you, Liz. Great to be with you. I'm really excited on this one. I mean, am I right, though? We grow up with all kinds of creature comforts knowing that our parents went through much more difficult times. It's a complicated emotion, isn't it? It is, but uh, thankfully, you know, for, for, for myself and my brother and for our family as a whole, uh, we always feel very privileged and blessed. And my parents were always so grateful to what this country has meant mm. for them and our family. New Jersey is such a long way from World War II Poland. How old were you when you came to understand that your parents had actually survived Hitler's horrors and, quite frankly, the darkest time in human history? 
Well, you know, we grew up around a lot of families that were in the real estate business in New Jersey, that many of them were refugees and uh, they came to be builders in New Jersey in the New York area. And so it was around us. We, we knew it. But there wasn't in my family, uh, there wasn't much talking about the Holocaust and the survivor uh, stories so much when we were younger. As we got older and, and into adulthood, uh, I certainly found out more and more. But for my parents, it was about uh, getting into the American society, working hard, educating us, uh, getting into the community. And those kind of things were taking up so much of their time that there wasn't really a lot of storytelling of what happened. And it was frankly something they uh, it was it was painful, I'm sure. So mm. uh, those things came much more, much more uh, later in time. And sure. uh uh, and we learned a lot over the years. And and so as a child, you're living the Jersey life. You're going to the Meadowlands. You're watching uh, Giants, right? Giants, not Jets. That's right. The Giants <laughs> were always big Giant fans. And uh, actually, my dad and uncle, uh, one of our earliest partners in the real estate business, uh, a gentleman who was a former college football player and had Giants season tickets and got us all to love football. And we go every Sunday. That was our ritual to go to the Giant games and be part of football society and uh it was a great experience it was a great bonding experience for our family do you remember your first nfl football game that you attended yes i remember early on going to yankee stadium myself and uh with my dad and my brothers and sat in the bleachers and watched the giants play and uh those were tough years for the giants in the <laughs> 60s and early 70s and for my brother into the 50s there were some good teams and so we've had all kinds of experiences, but we were able to be fans when they won two Super Bowls. And um, more importantly, we realized and learned and felt firsthand that being part of going to football games was a great bonding experience, a lot mm. of fun. And we learned how football and sports can bring families together. It feels like it was it was a tradition almost for you guys. When I was young, my dad, who was Canadian, he got season tickets to the L.A. Kings, which back then we're talking late 60s. Please, they were horrible, and and nobody was going in L.A. because you know they had a mil they had the Lakers in front of them, and and we'd go and all of us because we had five kids, so seven of us sitting in the in the cheap seats just bonding. Absolutely, it was it, it was special. In fact, the first quarterback I remember for the Giants was ironically Fran Tarkington, who in the middle oh of his career God. spent a few years in New York between his Viking stints. So <laughs> talk about coming full circle. Exactly. Well, it's interesting, though, that you talk about your your parents not really talking about their experience. I mean, one of the things I've learned is that some Holocaust survivors have no problem telling their stories. Others do not want to talk about their experience. I mean, I, I've heard a speech by the daughter of one of the most famous, which is the, the Bielski brothers, those Polish Jews who hid and lived in the forest during World War II, and they organized partisan fighters to kill Nazis. She said her father was totally scarred from it and and really was damaged by it. Uh, it doesn't yeah, the, feel like your dad was like that. Well, it, it, was, the, it was the full spectrum, really, uh, among the families we know. Some talked about it more regularly, some less mm. so. I'd say our family was more in the middle. There were stories told, but it wasn't like they dwelled on it. They were so busy working, setting up a life for our family. So mm. it wasn't until for myself, when I was 23 years old, I asked my dad about some of these stories. And we went to Poland and Russia and visited uh, their hometowns. My mom wouldn't go back at that point. 
And I learned a lot. I learned I had an aunt that perished in the Holocaust. I didn't know that till I was 23 years old, my father's sister. So things like that, that really uh, we had an opportunity there to visit the hometowns, realize where they grew up was not too different from where I grew up in New Jersey. They were nice towns. Uh, it's just a matter of the people did not want the Jewish people there. And there was the Holocaust and all the horrors we know in the history. And so it was a real eye-opener for me, of course. And uh, again, just realized with a lot of a lot of uh, gratitude that we had the opportunity, that my family had the opportunity to be able to come to America and live the life they've, they've been able to lead. Did you feel like that thread, that underlying sort of less glittery thread that was going through the fabric of your childhood actually made you who you are today? Well, again, we, you know, my brother, my cousin, myself, all of us in our family had great role models to be around. Um, my father and uncle were, were very smart people, very humble, but really working hard. Uh, I had a grandmother who basically was the savior of our family and uh, just such strength and determination and just a nose to the ground about working hard and being grateful and always giving back where you can if you're fortunate enough to have. And so those are values. You know, I don't do too much self-analysis, but I can tell you um, to have those kind of teachers around you every single day. Uh, was I'm certainly grateful for that. Yeah, that is that is a true luxury that people don't understand is actually a luxury to have that that benefit of people who have seen the worst of times, but then who say, you know what? Let me look ahead. Let me look forward. Let me be a reasonable optimist. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So your dad doesn't just start a multi-billion dollar business. I mean, what were the beginnings of that? And when did you join and help out with that business? Well, you know, my dad was, when he first came to the United States, my parents were uh, sponsored by the Birmingham, Alabama Jewish community. They spent close to a year there. And then they mm. eventually made their way to New York. My dad was in the car business, but my dad and uncle and actually my grandfather as well all of my grandparents survived the war as well. They were all Holocaust survivors, but they started building uh, small single family houses, uh, one or two at a time. And soon enough, that led to apartments and then shopping centers and all the rest in the real estate business. And so uh, a lot of their success, um, they built a business around a lot of people that they knew for many years that were their partners. 
Uh, they built together many of them Holocaust survivors. But as the as the as the family grew, um, uh, my cousin, my brother, and then later myself uh, entered the business and started working together. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, a family business is in a lot of ways has elements like a football team. I mean, there's a lot of teamwork and uh, ability to work together is very important. And uh, again, the example they led, the way they led uh, was by that example. My father and uncle were extremely close. Mm-hmm. Um, they were neighbors for over almost 40 years. Uh, the houses were mirror images of each other. They shared a <laughs> desk in their office for 40 years. So that, that that ability to be that close is a great example for all generations in my family. And I think no matter how business goes up or down, the uh, lesson was to make sure to stay close and uh, be together. And that's very important. Well, it was like lightning in a bottle and they became incredibly successful working together. Tell me when the idea germinated about buying the Minnesota Vikings. Well, like I said, we were very uh, engaged and loved football. And my father and uncle were offered uh, many times opportunities to invest in sports. In fact, the predecessor to the New York Jets, the New York Titans, uh, I think in the early 60s, they were offered it for basically $50,000 for meeting a a payroll or two. And uh, they passed then. Later, the Philadelphia Eagles were out there for, I think, six or seven million dollars in the later 60s. And then, in fact, when the New York Jets were sold in uh, around 2000, we were also uh, approached. So it was always around. It wasn't something that really uh, we connected on any of it, but we always loved football. And then 2005, the opportunity came to invest as a minority partner in the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And uh, we joined the group to bid on it. And my brother Ziggy, myself, my cousin Lenny and our family, my dad was very much encouraging. And so... uh, Short story, to, long story short, uh, we uh, purchased the team in 2005. It'll be our 19th season. Oh, my gosh. So the New Yorkers by the Minnesota team. How does that work? It works great. The, the You know, the Vikings, of course, uh, have a national following. Certainly those great, great teams in the 70s uh, and, and beyond all the purple people eaters, the Fran Tarkington and all. <laughs> Chuck Foreman, all those great players led to a great following. And uh, and the people in Minnesota have been very welcoming, very encouraging when we purchased the team. And uh, we've really had a great deal of uh, partnership on the business side, uh, public-private partnerships with our sponsors and our fans mm-hmm. have been so welcoming to us. So even though we did not spend a lot of time in Minnesota growing up, uh, we really feel in a way, uh, adopted sons, so to speak, of the community, and they've been great. You go to every game. You fly from New Jersey to Minnesota for every game, right? Half the games, the other half for somewhere else, but yes. We, you go we to do. the other ones, too? We, yes. Oh we, gotta, we, we go to as many as we can get to, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's really a great bonding experience, just like when we were watching the Giants. It's been great for our family uh, to rally around the team through the ups and downs, and uh, Again, we we bleed purple now, and we love the Minnesota Vikings. We've, like I said, have been able to uh, elevate. I think the franchise. I hope our fans agree. We're every single day. We're so privileged to be stewards of this great franchise, and we just want to bring a Super Bowl trophies um, trophies, I should say, plural, <laughs> uh, to the to the Minnesota fan base. They deserve it. 
Uh, they want it badly as we do, and that's what we're trying to do every single day. Well, you know, that is that is a tough, tough thing to do. And uh, I listen, go for it, but never change the purple, right? Never. Never. Purple and gold. Uh, again, we, we've... Uh, our fans are the best fans in, in in the NFL, and we just want to we just want to reward them with uh, w- with the trophy. Mm, I know I know how much you want it. Well, I love the the Nordic look to the the whole Viking image and the the mascot and everything else. You know, how do you pronounce that horn? It's the it's the Gallerhorn. Gallerhorn. G J A L L. So that's how you that's Gallerhorn. How you so we're working on our Nordic. Uh, <laughs> but I, I can tell you we're, we're very proud we have a if you haven't been to u.s bank stadium i hope uh, people listening out there get a chance to come we're the number one ranked stadium in in, in the world oh, and, and by the way we have to discuss this it has yeah. a glass roof and the largest glass doors on the planet that reach up how how tall are they these doors uh over 100 feet so the tallest doors pivoting doors that really let in the outdoors connect to Minneapolis, and uh, it's just such a great experience. So much of going uh, to a football stadium in the past was, I mean, certainly when I lived in Ohio and I went to Cleveland Browns games at the old Memorial Stadium, it was a painful experience. The food was awful. There were there were bits of metal that had been broken through by the bitter wind coming off Lake Erie from Canada. It was freezing. There was nothing. But, but you know, it was the dogs. It was the Browns. It was awesome. But now, when you look at some of these stadiums, it's all about selfies and giving people an opportunity to have great food and just improve the experience. So you've got this gigantic gallahorn that you had put in. Whose idea was that? And could people take pictures and and stand oh, by yeah. it? Yeah, you know, you know, when we built the stadium early on, we always felt I know there's some great experiences out there. You have the twelfth man in Seattle, some other great uh fan experiences to kick off a game and we just felt to honor our fans honor our legacy we wanted something special so we have this enormous uh gallerhorn uh hanging from the uh incredible clear roof at u.s bank stadium and it is it's 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 not just about our players our fans we want the fans to feel it's a family atmosphere Mm -hmm. so we want to welcome people and kids take pictures and we have tours that are really uh well attended and just it's such a great energy on a Sunday to hear the fans and do our skull chant together. Our skull chant was something we picked up <laughs> along the way from our friends in Iceland. That was one of their national chants when they had some sports success. So we adopt great ideas and w- where we can. And it's been a great we have the number one ranked game experience out there. And well, the, the inaugural awesome. game at the new stadium you sounded that horn, and that brings me back to the Jewish aspect of it. Of course, traditionally on Yom Kippur, the Jewish New Year, we blow a ram's horn. Who right. knew that there was the Vikings and then, of course, the shofar? Another reason for some of our fans to to root for us. We have <laughs> horns on the helmet. We have horns everywhere, and uh, it's a lot of fun. The money that has come from the business that you all work so hard for and, of course, the football team, you don't just sit there and consume it and cars and fancy houses. You've actually used it for change-making philanthropy. 
the National Holocaust Survivors Initiative, which assists some of the approximately 25 percent. This shocked me. 25 percent of the 120,000 survivors in the United States who live in poverty. What do you do for them? Well, we certainly want to make sure that the survivors, who I consider heroes in many ways, they're educators to not just the Jewish community, but to society to remind us of where intolerance can lead. So we make sure that they get funds for food or medical care and do all those kinds of things. And we're proud to support that. Uh, you mentioned about giving back uh, to the community in Minnesota, for instance, you know, when George Floyd, uh, when, when the murder of George Floyd happened mm -hmm. uh, a few years back, and even before that, we work with the players. We have a social justice committee where our players sit on it. And uh, we we donate money to the committee and the committee selects where the funds go to. So uh, we have three big priorities, reducing socioeconomic disparities, adopting education curriculum and advocating for law enforcement and criminal justice reform. So we work with the players. They decide where the funds go. I'll give you a great example. We go with a group of high school kids from Minnesota with some of our players every year and a group called Project Success uh, gets the high school kids. Many of them have never been on a plane before. They go to Washington. We go together with our players, with our ownership, our management, and we visited the African-American History Museum and the Holocaust Museum. And we talk about their history, our history, and talk about how we can make a better society together. And those things are so rewarding. You know, sports and NFL has that platform that we yes. can really change lives. Oh, yes. And the fans themselves, you know, you have an opportunity because there's a captivated audience where you can take them and you can say, there are bigger things here. There are bigger, bigger things here. And you also went on a war-related mission to Poland to help Ukrainian refugees. That's right. Yes, we, uh, we, we've been very involved in that. And in fact, it really was very full circle for me I went to uh, the border town of Medica in Poland, right on the Ukraine border, when the war first broke out. And we visited Ukrainian refugees coming across the border. And my dad grew up 10 minutes from that border area in a small town called Yaroslav. And years ago, when he was a refugee, no one looked after him or my mother or their families. And here we are. Uh, I came on behalf of the Jewish community, but all of us that are privileged we're able to give back, and now we're able to help the refugees that are coming over. So for me, that was a very full circle moment and something I'm very proud of to be part of. And we still have work to do, of course, there. And I think, again, the platform and talking about it on these kind of platforms has really amplified the incredibly distressed times that are still going on today there. I have to say, Poland has been amazing and generous. The people driving throughout the night to the border to help bring total strangers, refugees, to homes to feed them, to keep them warm. I, that, that was a very, very uplifting moment during a very worrisome time, which is still going on, obviously, with the Russians just invading and trying to snap off huge chunks of Ukraine. We don't know how that's going to end. But one of the things that, I'm, you know, this is just coming to me right now, but I'd love your thoughts on what this country is seeing right now. The, there are real tension between races. We're seeing an unbelievably frightening rise in anti-Semitic attacks. What is going on, Mark? And how do we stop it? I think we have to figure out ways uh, to dialogue with each other. I think social media and other things exacerbate 
that people stay in their own channels and their own lanes. And I think we have to find common ground on things we agree on. And there are many things that are great in this country that we can all agree on. Uh, I mean, I want to start on a lighter note. Of course, sports can bring many people together. Yeah. And that is a starting point. We do have a lot of dialogues among people from all different uh, perspectives to talk about other things. So um, it is a challenge. Uh, I feel the extremes in this country, um, uh, we lose track of the, the common themes that we have together. And that's about um, tolerance and making sure um everybody has an opportunity to be able to live freely and, and reach their potential. And there's, we all have similarities. I often say, <laughs> you know, Italians are very much like Jews. Jews are very much like African-Americans in the way they come together around food and family and tradition. We have more in common than we do making us strangers amongst ourselves. So I, I agree with you on that. One of the points that I want to make to our, our listeners, too, is, you know, even if you don't watch football, one thing you all know, especially recently with the, the concussions that a lot of these players have, is they, when they leave teams, they're alone. The country is littered with former NFL players, alumni who spent or lost all their money. Many of them went bankrupt. They're left with broken bodies, sometimes emotional pain. And nobody there afterward, after the, the cheering dies down and the gates are closed to them. Your family has dedicated two full-time positions to handling, well, you call them alumni, and you take care of them. Why spend the money and the effort looking backwards to team members who maybe have been long forgotten? Tell me what's at the heart of that. I thought, you know, even though the NFL and the Vikings, it's a business we know in our own experience that it is about a family feeling and our legends, we call them our legends, really built our franchise. And the alumni and all the great players of years past, they built the NFL. And so we just had actually a couple of weeks ago at our home opener, our, our legendary coach Bud Grant passed away this year and we honored him. We wore our classic uniforms and we welcomed back our our uh, players from the 70s, 50-year anniversary from some of our Super Bowl teams. Uh, so um, we want to make sure they're taken care of. Uh, we work with them to have different uh, fundraisers and, and bringing them together. And just most importantly, to remind them and thank them always that um, we had many great memories with their play. As kids, we watched them. All our fans remember all their great moments. But when they're done with their career... We want to make sure they're not forgotten. And so that's why we give back where we can to take care of them in any way we can. Yeah, the Purple Brigade. Oh, my goodness. And and by the way, back to the, the stadium, 66,000 purple seats. And everyone is filled on Sunday, hopefully. And <laughs> very, very exciting atmosphere. Tell me about how you think it's important to raise your children, because then you get a, a bigger distance between the generation that sacrificed so much, your parents or my grandparents. And I'm trying to make my kids who have every creature comfort from iPhones to a roof over their head to not having to worry about much at all, quite frankly, you know, it gets further out and you want them to remember that those who went before them sacrificed and endured so much. How do you do that as a father? Well, I think uh, the only examples I know of parenthood firsthand are my own parents. And so 
for my wife Jane and myself and for my brother, cousin, and others in our family. I think I know what we try to do is try our best to live a life by example that hopefully they can emulate. So no matter what we say, it's still ultimately about our actions. And I think things like philanthropy, things like sports, whether you're a fan or an owner, things that can bring a family together will hopefully uh, give them the values to understand tremendous gratitude for what they have and hopefully an understanding that um, through life's ups and downs, uh, it's hard to do it alone. And so you need to depend and work with others, no matter what environment within your family or outside uh, to make your life richer. So those are the values, but by example and how we live our life that we hope to pass on. There is a, a Jewish saying among the Jewish farming community that especially back in the medieval times and Eastern Europe back in the olden days, if you had a plot of land when you tilled it and when you harvested what you had grown, you should always leave a little corner of, of it untouched for the poor in the community to go and take some of it. And this is very much a part of, of our heritage, I think. And I agree with you. You know, you learn that from your parents to say, no matter how much or how little money you have, save a little corner of it for those who are less fortunate. You know, I did one uh, great podcast, one of the early ones with John Paul DeGiorio, self-made billionaire. He and his mom and his brother had to live in a car. They were homeless in San Diego for, for many years. And he said, every time we'd pass a homeless person, my mom would say, take out a nickel or a penny because no matter how little we have, there's somebody who has less than us and give it to them. No question. I think, you know, being having privilege uh, it shouldn't be a standalone. With privilege comes responsibility. And you should give not till it hurts, but till it feels good. Mm. And that's the, <laughs> that's the way we like to look at things. All right, Mark. Uh, we need the Vikings to win a Super Bowl. I, I might forego my Browns winning one if the Vikings did because, well, who's who's had a dry spell longer? It's got to be the Browns. I think we've we've we we're both too. Okay, <laughs> we're both so, pathetic. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's let's say Skull Vikings and whatever the Cleveland Dog Pound does, uh, you know, we bark. We, 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 let's let's hope let's hope good things happen <laughs> for your fan base and for us. For I'm sure we're going to be working hard for our purple. Well, I am. I'm going to sprain my ankle jumping on the Vikings bandwagon because I like your spirit and I like your background, and your story. Mark, thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for having me. Mark Wilf. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Okay, so are we all Vikings fans? We need to cheer them on. But we also need to absorb what Mark has just shared with us. And no matter how little or how much, you have always saved some for those who are less fortunate. I'll leave it with that. Um, and by the way, you've got money. You need to preserve it and grow it. And you do that by watching The Claim and Countdown on Fox Business Network, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I will see you guys next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.